The Trek Files, Season 11, Episode 15, Eye of the Beholder, Letter from Dorothy Fontana, September 21st, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, all you history buffs, all you canonistas. I say that lovingly, of course. Hey, all of you under our great Trekophiles umbrella, spelled with an F. And you know, this this season, we've been leaning into a lot of the animated series topics from the 70s. And because it is the 50th anniversary, it's been a lot of fun to celebrate that this year. The animated series got so little love for so long, or it was just kind of swept into the dustbin of history. But boy, not only the canon of the animated series and the continuity, but also just animation in general is back with a vengeance now with Lower Decks and Prodigy and uh, celebrating all things of a, of a 2D or even a, a digital 3D nature. And it's been a lot of fun to hit these topics. We've got some more back from the day from 1973. And you know what? Uh, I had such a good time with him a few weeks back. I wanted to invite, well, one of our special guests of recent weeks to jump on a slightly different angle of the original series, of the animated series. And best of all, kids, we're going to unleash some previously unknown Star Trek history. So you want to stick around for that. In fact, you want to check out our Facebook page right now. That's where we keep all the docs and the animated and, and the audio episodes, too. But check out this week's documents there at our page, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, here's an audio sample, but of course you want to hang around. I'll be right back with this week's guest, and we will deep dive into this big time. I'm sorry to have to say that, in my opinion, The Eye of the Beholder, as executed by David Harmon, is a complete bomb. While I happen to be prejudiced about the subject, McCoy's daughter is a total waste. Not only that, she's totally uninteresting. If you're going to introduce a character as potentially important to Star Trek as Joanna, not Randy, she must be dramatically interesting. I couldn't care less about her, at least not as written in this script. Yes. Yes, the, I would say that of all the animated series episodes, and there are some great ones, of course, yesteryear, on down the line, The Eye of the Beholder is not one of them. <laughs> but here we've got an example of, of Dorothy's, uh, Dorothy's notes, typically, on an episode, and, and Dorothy's relationship with Gene. And, oh wait, before I get any deeper, let's welcome back, hey, the co-author of the Star Trek, the official guide to the animated series, wonderful book if you don't have that, your respect, if you didn't have it before, and awareness of everything that the animated series gave us uh, and the work involved in getting that show together um, is much revealed by his co-writer, Rick Sheppis, and our guest back with us again. I'm so glad to have him again. Aaron Harvey. Hello. Aaron, thank you so much. Yes, yes, yes. So we, <laughs> when we were here before, we were looking at things that no one ever saw, right? Those pitches right. That, that no one ever got to see. Well, now we're talking about... If you want to talk about the real animated series, well, there it sits. 
yes. on this page. A typical letter from Dorothy. So what comes to mind? I mean, so many things. We know this episode, but the meta also is here's Dorothy in the process. And it's September. This is getting on late into the season. The first ones have aired, and she's still following up with Jean. I don't know. What comes to mind when you see this about the relationship? Because she was the showrunner, right? Right. Yeah. Um, she is basically giving the notes that I would give, I think, in, a, in many ways. Um, there's just, there's so much with this episode that had interesting ideas that just sort of didn't happen. Um, and yes, I believe that if they had turned her into McCoy's daughter, that would have been a complete waste. Uh, Randy Bryce, actually, I worked on uh, Star Trek Adventures, which is the uh, RPG game. Uh, mm -hmm. And I did a supplement for the animated series. And one of the, the ancillary characters that we used was it Randy Bryce. And we're like, she's a person. Like, the, we had to make things up because there's just nothing to these characters. <laughs> she was safe to use. Yes. But she was so safe, she was... Talk about a blank slate, right? Yeah. The good and the bad of that. Yeah. So we basically had to kind of... Uh, run through some of the novelizations and see if we could pull anything from there. Cause I, it's not alpha canon, but I consider it as close to possible because TAS just didn't have time to expand right. out much. Um, well, that's what I, what you did was what I call canon in a vacuum. It's like, okay, if there's nothing on screen, then what is there out there? Right. And let's look at it. Yeah. I mean, at least at go to some Maris and Eric's like, they literally say, yes, sir. And you know, in orbit now. And they, they don't have a whole lot of words or, to uh, phrases or anything. So, Eric's has that, that guitar, that ukulele yes. thing. So there's that. That's his personality. There's that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so I would definitely this just, it, uh, it's really interesting to see how she, what some of the comments that she made and how they were implemented. Um, I tend to think of Dorothy as very soft-spoken and very diplomatic all the time. She was, you think of the original series, she was in there among the crazies and a lot of the turnover, and she was kind of the stable calm force even even with bob justman you know she was kind of the eye in the whirlwind i think mm -hmm. when i interviewed her she felt like kind of a, a little bit of a stern teacher type so i can actually mm -hmm. see this mm -hmm. so I, this this feels very much like uh if you want to get your grade raised you're going to have to change some things <laughs> <laughs> well so to read her her and of course she's if there was anyone she let her hair down with it's gene yeah. So to say to hear her saying watch her writing uh it's a complete bomb yeah this is just really what she thinks yeah and uh, i don't know what it, there's a there's an interesting bit i love her bit about the well what what struck you when you read this i mean the concepts are there but it just feels in 22 minutes it just feels like it ran for an hour um and not in a good way <laughs> uh unfortunately and it and um, it lent itself with the, the way they envisioned the aliens the slugs it seemed well, that like a good that was I mean, imaginative for yeah. animation right they were always looking for yeah. what would look great and what could we not have done on a live action budget you know but the the first thing that jumped out to me is her quote that uh do you seriously believe that an ideal home for spacers 300 years from now would be a ranch style home with barbecue and a pool um which is interesting because now when we think about the future we tend to think of it more like now because we know that things don't change as much and in the 60s it felt like everybody would be in spacesuits and you know right. so i feel right. like her or concept of what, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. 300 years to her would be very different than our idea of 300 years from now which i think would be more similar to today but just you know advanced uh so yeah so i i think that uh, that would be the one thing i wouldn't necessarily agree with but it did look very 60s and <laughs> 70s so there, there, there was that, but you can't really do much about that because it's from the time. 
But she winds up here with a note. Um, let's leave Spock on the show. It reminds me oh, a little yeah. bit of, about Gene railing against having Scotty play uh, Amazing Grace on the bagpipes at the end of Rathacon. It's a note that he was very vehement about, and yet that's the way it, it was finished out. And yeah, we remember that way. And her recommending, right, right, and having Scotty. It's hysterical, Scotty with the with the wee beast. Oh yeah. Well, it I, it, it does make sense, and it just it, and I think some of her comments have to do with what sounds like the belief that the planet wasn't going to be supportive of human life outside of that dome that the people were in. Um, because they talk about, you know, if the slug child came onto the enterprise, it couldn't breathe. They'd have to change the atmosphere for it and all that stuff. And in the end, they just made it where they could breathe the same air that we do. Mm hmm. I, uh, I know, but what do you, between the lines, do you mm -hmm. get a sense here? Again, this is September. They've been at the writing process since March. They've premiered in September, so they're two or three weeks into the air dates, and, yeah. and it's a short season. It's only animation. It's only half hours. Um, you know, they didn't have a full season the way we think of it now, and a, a long still season, a pretty I guess. tight deadline. It's right, a, very tight. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's only Saturday morning animation, yeah. which I'm air quoting. It's there. still network. And it's, you know, like, yeah, it, so it's, it's late in the show. process. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's late in their process for their, you know, and then she would famously not be part of the second season and they would only get like right. a half season or a season two. It's interesting because I, I feel I do see some of the, like, I'm making these comments. I know that I'm not going to be listened to. I'm frustrated by it. That's what I'm reading between the lines, some of it. It feels a little yeah. bit like, come on, you got to know that this isn't right, you know, <laughs> or this, this really could use work. But I think I almost feel like she's got like a resignation of like, well, it's probably not going to happen. But, you know, like, get, let's get all, all the cute lines must be cut, which I thought was interesting because I don't remember there being, quote unquote, cute lines really so much from that episode. Mm -hmm. So maybe they did at least uh, get that done. But well, there's a there's a you know, you run a risk if you think a line's too cute, and then you cut them all and then you wind up with maybe the boring thing we think yeah. of when we think of Eye of the yeah. Boulder. I'm, I'm curious, like they had mentioned a couple times, there's like the same phrase mentioned over when they talk about their um, the communicators and stuff as their toys. Mm -hmm. well, the interesting thing is in this, they also talk about um, Kirk and uh, I think it's this version. Where the Kirk and Spock or where the, where the slug kids would basically take their stuff. So I could see them th thinking of it as the toys for the children in that sense but they just used that phrase over like three times and it was just kind of odd so it does well, it does feel like there were parts that were cut that don't you know especially we have the the sick uh crewman who never speaks and doesn't do anything it's like it feels like there should have been more of a reason for her and they, you know, they had the med kit to start with and they're like oh let's have kirk pretend that he's sick and they'll let us out I'm like we well, already got a sick person in the bed over there like what what, what is that gonna do <laughs> so some of it kind of just the the logic doesn't kind of work out sometimes well, wherever the process was i agree with her this would have been a throwaway for joanna and as someone who feels agreed over the decades that joanna did not become the 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 original intent of what became uh this side of, uh, of the way to eden going yeah. to be a joanna show and that they she did get resurrected for the animated this would have been a total throwaway yeah uh, her role in the survivor is a little better we at least got yeah, her into canon say, that, that could have been better Although um, it makes her a little bit like, oh, I need a man. <laughs> <laughs> Which I always th think of her as sort of like her, her 
father's daughter and like being this at least in the books you hear she's like a medical student and she's kind of kick ass and so i i would rather see that in my head than 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 uh what's her name in in the survivor <laughs> well here's the thing too so she's criticizing this so david Harmon, let's just back up here and here's where i think we can make some history today for all of yes. you patient listeners listen so david Harmon has the credit for deadly years and for a piece of the action on the original series and both of them notable you know in their own ways they it's have interesting cute lines. to see. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, they have cute lines. But they, um, they, uh, oh, yeah, he had a story idea in 68 called Beware of Gripton's Bearing Gifts. Oh, yeah. So I've an, heard un, that. An, an unsold uh, premise yeah. from the original series. So here he is in this stock of writers on strike who Dorothy is leaning, and, and Trek veterans who Dorothy is leaning into, thinking, okay, this will be a shortcut. I won't have to explain Star Trek to some of these guys. And they're right. willing to write now because they're, and under the terms of the, contract they could have written animation so that was clear the same way it's it we're in the situation a little bit today slightly different reason but it was clear to do so here he is pitching and she's not liking what he's doing so what do you think that's that's maybe making the pivot from from um live action to animation it could Where he's be struggling in her it, it, it does feel a little bit like maybe he's trying to cram too much into a shorter period of time that could be part of it or maybe because he was handed this, unbeknownst to us. <laughs> Gang, we maybe. have come... And Aaron, I know I've shocked you because I've just shared this with you. Yeah. Going through the files, I think we're having one of those moments. Now, I don't think this is quite on the order of We Found Human Isis. It's April Tetro, and she's <laughs> here with us and can be a guest. Not quite on the, uh, the earthquake scale of a Star Trek unknown. But apparently, all these years... David Harmon's been the credited writer for this. We've got right. a script. Here we've it's got... In our here book. She's, <laughs> right. It's in your book. It's Memory Alpha. It's in B. Joe's old original concordance. But apparently, our other document this week... In fact, this is a gentleman who was pitching Star Trek to Dorothy in March that we talked about on one yeah. of your earlier visits. So it's, yes, Mr. James Schmerer, who otherwise did not have a Trek sale, but apparently was interested, apparently known to Gene and Dorothy. Mm -hmm. And our other document this week is a letter from August 73, where apparently he'd had a meeting with, with Gene and or Dorothy during the writer's strike, anxious to get some work, as some of these other writers have been, wrote down a, a premise that he's fleshed out. But now the strike is over. It ended in June. He's at work at Universal, has a long career, lots of titles, lots of episodes and se series he's involved with. And he's told Gene, hey, that story you wanted from me, I fleshed it out. It's a, here's a page and a half, a couple of pages, uh, three pages. And, uh, but I can't finish the script for you. So hand it off to someone else. And lo and behold, what is it, Aaron? It's, it's I, the Beholder. Yeah, in, it in definitely detail. is. Like, uh, I, the reason I paused for a second is I haven't had a chance to read it through all of it. And I saw a very colorful word in, in one of these sentences, which was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk tells him to blank off. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, why? Well, okay. He's yeah, really it, dashing this off. He's got a job, it, a real job to get back to. It is definitely uh, the um, eye of the beholder, but it's also similar to what we had talked about on previous episodes. It has the idea of taking the transporter and turning the people as they beam down into the native mm -hmm. uh, population that can breathe the air and all that stuff. And it looks like this was supposed to be the first time that that was tested. And then they end up right, going to the planet. We, they find, yeah. you know, Dr. McCoy's daughter and, you know, she's 24. 
Um, but yeah, so that it, it's got a lot of the same premises and it has the idea that the, uh, the kids running around with the, the, the communicators, which is where I got that. Mm-hmm. I thought I combined it from the other episode. Um, so I think bits and pieces of this premise made it into the final version, but without the context of the other stuff around it. So mm-hmm. I think that's why some of there's a, some of a disconnect, but also it wasn't the person's original. It wasn't their work. They're they're reworking something that they didn't write. Right. So it looks like which I guess people do normally, but it's, it's like, well, there's story and teleplay credit. That's why we have yeah. the different credits. And even early next generation, they were paying for a premise and a couple of people not in not up front for residuals. But if you see the, the end titles, there were several times, especially the first couple of seasons where we had story idea and premise credits given. Literally in those days, a two or three hundred bucks, five hundred bucks for a story premise. Then we hand it off to, you know, a third party or a staff writer to do. And that's apparently what happened here. And whether I don't know whether this was a little thing he did for some extra cash, and then he got his real job and said, "Look, just finish it off, Gene." And he didn't care because it was just air quote, you know, Saturday morning animation. Right. Or maybe he even asked not to have a credit. You know, just that's give me possible. a give, cut me a check for a couple hundred and and yeah. let's call it. Please do not put my name on this. And David Harmon, it turns out to be, here's a premise, you know, which is a, st- a, a typical kind of assignment. Here's a story. Go flesh this out to a script. I guess so it would maybe be like a reason... couple hundred bucks, too, because like 1500 I think, is what they got per episode, the writers. Right, that right. Effect. Yeah. So if it was, but enough, it's enough that he wasn't contractually bound to be credited unless right. he asked not to be credited, you know, yeah. and didn't even want to do a pseudonym, didn't even want to do a cordwainer bird or something i do so, like at the end down on the planet the slugs are just about yes. to kill kirk when the slug child appears he tells the elders not to hurt them and they all live happily ever after <laughs> that end. sounds to me like a guy who's doing this just for some cash yes it also <laughs> feels like very much at the end of a lot of tas episodes where it's just like it's done and that's it you like there's, it's the there's happy no laughing flintstone ending yes yeah, <laughs> yeah it just ends it's not unlike a very short trek of recent years. <laughs> <laughs> i'll see anyway I just, yeah. I came across this the other day and I thought, well, this is Eye of the Behold. That is With really a lot of padding. Again, it was slimmed yeah. down. And maybe that's what the, maybe that's what the problem with the final episode was, was it was conceived as something, maybe it's the move along home, you know, where it was so much more, but by the time it was stripped yeah. down, there was very little left. Which is weird. But the it, there's little left, but it also then felt more like disjointed and bigger than it really was. It's just, it sort of has this weird, like... Uh, kind of Mobius effect, I guess, of folding in on itself. Uh, yeah, definitely the, the the bits with Scotty and the kid, uh, the, the yeah. child slug, Lacron, are kind of cute. And they yeah, do look no, funky that... with the, the communicators and tricorders yeah. and phasers in their hands, well, slugging along. Works. That part works. I don't like that. That part never bothered mm-hmm. me. I'm just like some of the, the back and forth between the humans, just that that right. drug a lot. The uh, aerial crew is a little. Uh, yeah. And the logic of some of the things that they did was not... a little waspy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was the other thing when we were trying to create things for Star Trek Adventures, coming up with, like, anybody that wasn't, like, a white human. It was just really difficult. It was very frustrating. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's interesting to see Dorothy in action, giving her comments, still to Jean, still late in the first season, and, and, um, gosh, Aaron, if you ever get a chance to reprint the book, your guide... You've got a new factoid to jump yep. in with. We'll have to figure out who we credit it to, I guess. Well, you're welcome. Don't forget where you Thank heard you. it first. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Aaron, it's been a lot of fun to talk once again about animated series. Uh, I've enjoyed you. it. So, yeah, happy 50th. Happy 50th. <laughs> 
The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47 and, well, okay, that's me, at larrynimichek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, boo. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.